Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning, spend this time with you together this morning. If you've got your Bibles with you, would you open them up, please, to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in the 8th chapter of, uh, of 2 Corinthians, and we've been spending some time lately talking about spiritual habits uh, of the new year. The, the term that's been used sometimes in the past has been the spiritual disciplines, if you will. It's taken from what Paul writes to Timothy. When he says to Timothy, we looked at this in the beginning, Timothy, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. And we talked about what that meant for us as well, that we are to train ourselves so that we would be godly. Uh, Paul even goes so far as to say that this physical training is of some value, but spiritual training has eternal value. And so he encourages us to live our lives in a way that produces godliness within our lives. And we've been talking about some of those habits that, that you can be involved in, that we can all as a church be involved in as well, to help us produce that godliness on a consistent basis. We talked about gathering together in congregational worship, how God calls us to do that and expects us to do that, and how we grow as a result of being in relationship with one another. We looked at the, the impact that prayer has on our lives, a dependency upon God, and expressing that through prayer. We talked last week about Bible engagement, about reading your Bible, about studying your Bible, being a student of the Word of God, because God shaped us within the interaction with his word and now today we talk about another one of the spiritual habits it's the habit of stewardship and I brought in an object lesson this morning kind of a, kind of an illustration if you will to talk about what this looks like and what this means because as you know when we talk about stewardship we're talking about the M word right I know preachers are not supposed to talk about money because this is, every time I go to church, they talk about money. Well, I haven't. I don't. I, when it comes up in the text, I, I talk about it. But this morning, we're talking about it because this is one of those spiritual disciplines to help you grow in godliness. And of course, when you talk about money, one of the things you've got to talk about is how you manage your money well, how you budget your money and things of that nature. And so I've got an object lesson this morning that I'm going to help with. I, I, um, I thought about bringing Krispy Kreme donuts, but um, at some point it has to stop, okay? Hi, my name is Dwight, and I'm addicted to Krispy Kreme donuts. Um, okay, so what I've done instead is I brought in brownies. I made them, and they're good, I promise, they're good. I stuck my finger in the batter to make sure. So here's what I'm doing to illustrate this point for you this morning. I have enlisted the help of uh, some people here in church to talk about this, to talk about how we deal with our money well, how we budget our money, how we manage our money. And there are some of you that are scattered throughout uh, our gathering this morning that have received little index cards. And on these index cards is, is written down a typical budget item, things that you would need to budget for in your personal budget, in your personal finances. And here's what we're going to do. Because you've been so studious about the budgeting and all of this stuff, when you pay this bill when you pay this bill this morning, I'm going to reward you by giving you a brownie in place of that bill. So if you've got one of our cards, would you just hold it up for me this morning? 
All right. Wayne, let's start with you. What is written on your card? Insurance. Oh, yes, we all need insurance, don't we? All right, Wayne, come on up. Bring your card with you because you, you, and they are really, really gooey brownies, and so they didn't cut well, um, but, but we're going to work on this, and we're going we're gonna to get this taken care of for you. Oh, wow, those smell so good, Wayne. And, um, okay, there you go. All right, so you've paid insurance. What? What a trade, that's right. A three-by-five index card for a brownie. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, who else has one? Who else has a card? Lisa, you've got one. What's yours? Grocery. Yeah, we got to eat. Something besides brownies and Krispy Kreme donuts. So. A plastic knife cuts them perfectly. Where were you last night when I was making these brownies? Yeah, it, it, it is good. Okay. All right. Excellent. Fantastic. Bill, don't eat that. That belongs to Lisa. Okay, good. Oh, okay. All right. Who else? Who else has a card? All right. Tim, what have you got? Water bill. Ugh. Yeah, you get one of the not fun bills. See if I can get a bigger brownie for you here for that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Fantastic. Who else? All right. Miss Sharon, what have you got? Clothing allowance, yes. Outfits like yours don't just happen. There's planning, that's right. There is planning in, oh, it broke, Shannon. Oh, that's okay. But I'll, I'll give you the other half here. Here, here, just scoop that off. Excellent, and here's the rest of it. Whoa, good. Here, here, a little bit more, a little more. <laughs> Okay, excellent. All right, somebody at Wesley, you had one. What is yours? Eating out. You gotta have fun in life, right? Everything can't just be paying bills. You gotta have a little bit of fun in life. Uh, so Wesley, you get a brownie because you've eaten out a lot. And okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can take that. It's fine. There you go. Fantastic. All right, who else? Who else? All right, Paul, what have you got here? Oh, heavens. Student loans. You know, I went back to school last year. I started back in school last year. I, I didn't have student loans. I turned 50, and now I get student loans. What's up with that? It's crazy. Okay. Student loans, the gift that keeps on giving. Okay, there you go. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your help. Okay, somebody else has one. All right, Stephen, let's start with you. What have you got? Car payment. <laughs> we love our vehicles. About the time I get one paid off, it dies. Oh, wow, that's a huge brownie. Gavin will be happy. Enjoy that, Gavin. Okay, who are Chris Hartley, what have you got, Chris? Electric bill. It's wonderful when we have seven degrees and you have to pay to heat the house, right? So, but we got to pay it. I mean, you can't do it without electricity. They take your kids. Okay. All right. Fantastic. And, okay, Karen Norton's got one. Karen, what have you got? Rent or mortgage payment. Yeah, what good's paying your electric bill if you've got nowhere to live, right? Okay. So we've got the we got the mortgage here. Oh. There. All right. Fantastic. Now, 
Okay, now, do you see how well that works out? When you tell your money ahead of time where it needs to go, then you've got it all taken care of. So we had all of our little budget items here, and then we had all of our little brownie here. Did you just do that? So Paula did it for you. What is yours, Rick? No, it's all right. Come on, Rick. Come on. Come here. We'll do what we can. Come here. Here. There's, there's a little bit in here. Do I get to lick the pan? <clears throat> there's, there's, here. Are you kidding? Oh. Here, there's some. Just hold on. Well, we got to get it somehow. Okay. Well. That's all I got left. Got some on my fingers. I love you, but not like that. I'm sorry. That's all I got left, Rick. Hmm. Well, that was embarrassing. That's what someone with the gift of mercy would say, obviously. Okay, you, you kind of get the point there, right? You kind of see what, what we're talking about. Most, most modern church growth leaders will say to you, you don't, you don't need to preach on money, you don't need to talk about giving, and I understand that, I get it. It, it can make us kind of squirm a little bit. It, it can make us, um, I don't know why that is. I don't know why that is. It, it, it just hits, it, it hits home to us so much. We, uh, we, we see this as a much more personal issue than reading our Bible, than praying, uh, even than gathering together with God's people. We see this as a very, very personal issue for some reason. But what I want you to understand this morning is our giving is crucially linked to our spiritual growth. It's, it's an indicator, really and truly, of whether or not we do trust God uh, with our resources, with what we have been given. And quite honestly, I think that it is impossible for us to be like God if we are not a giving people. For instance, the, the verse that is so familiar to all of us, we, we've learned it since we were in vacation Bible school, in, in, in nursery at the church, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that, what did he do? He gave. Our God is a giving God. And if we are going to be like him, remember what Paul says to Timothy, what he says to us, that we need to train ourselves for the purpose of what? godliness. What does that mean? It means to be like God. If we're going to be like God, we want to see what God is like. God is a giving God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Our God is a giving God. And just to kind of put this into perspective, 
I just did a search this week uh, with one of the Bible apps on, on the computer that, that you can use. The word believe, and we, we would maintain that belief is very important in the life of the Christian, right? That if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The word believe is used 258 times in the Bible. The word pray, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the importance of prayer and how we need to be a praying people. The word pray is used 316 times in the Bible. The word love, I mean, what, 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 what is life all about if it's not about love? Being loved by God, loving God back, and loving one another as we're commanded to do. The word love is used 684 times in the Bible. But when we come to the word give, the word give is used 1,474 times in the word of God. So there's, there, is, there is a principle that God is trying to teach us in our lives, and, and it relates to our spiritual growth, and it relates to our relationship with others. This is a spiritual topic. This is not a financial topic. This is a spiritual topic, and it's a serious topic. And so when we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, just to give you a little bit of a background here before we read the text, in Jerusalem there had been all sorts of persecution that had come into the believers' lives. Remember, we read in the book of Acts about how many people, thousands and thousands of people, were coming to faith in Christ, they were being baptized, and the church was just exploding as the Spirit of God descended and people were being saved all over the place as the gospel was being proclaimed. And so as a result of that, you've got the Romans, you've got the, you've got the, the Jewish religious leaders, and none of them were happy about what was happening with this new group of Christians. The Romans didn't like it because they didn't pledge allegiance to, to Caesar. They pledged allegiance to Christ. The Jewish leaders didn't like it because they had a control on the people and their religious teachings and people were coming to faith in Christ and stepping away from that religious man-made rules that they had been given. And so there was persecution that came and one of the things that would happen is Christians would be ostracized and so they not able to work. People aren't giving them jobs. The Romans didn't want them to work for them. The Jews weren't going to let them work for them. And there was all sorts of persecution that came into the lives of the believers. And there was a group, that the Macedonians, it was the, the region that it encompassed Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. This region where the Macedonians, the, the region of Macedonia, they had suffered greatly as well but they knew what was going on in Jerusalem and they were ready and they were willing to help the people who lived in Jerusalem. And so Paul uses them as an example in this grace of giving that he talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at what he writes beginning in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, 
But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. What is this act of grace? It is the grace of giving. And Paul uses the Macedonians as an example of what the Corinthian Christians (coughs) should be doing and how they should be giving as well. And so this morning what I want to do is, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want to dispel some of the myths that we have when it comes to giving of our resources to the work of the Lord and His church. So, let's just walk through some of these myths. Myth number one, first of all, there is a myth that says only people with money should give. The myth, only people with money should give. In other words, it comes across like this, well, let all so-and-so give. If if I had his money, then I would give. If I had her money, then I would give. Let them give because they've got the resources to give. But when we look at the Macedonians here, in the first two verses, we see that the Macedonians gave out of what? Did, Did they give out of their stock reserves? Is that what Paul says? No. They didn't do that. Did they they give because they had CDs that were maturing and they wanted a tax write-off at the end of the year? No, that's, that's not why they gave. Were they giving out of their savings? No. Paul says that they gave out of their extreme poverty. Out of their extreme poverty, they had little, but out of that poverty, they gave. In fact, the Bible tells us here in verse 2, in a severe test of affliction, they gave out of a severe test of affliction. The word carries with it the idea of purging. It's almost like there is a purging that is going on here with the Macedonians as well, and something is happening to them. The heat is being turned up. The, the word is used, actually, it's a, it's a word picture of a, of a precious metal of some sort that has been heated until it's just melted down, and then the impurities begin to rise to the top of that metal, and so you can scrape the impurities off of that metal so that it becomes stronger and it becomes even more pure than it was before. The heat's being turned up on the Macedonians, and yet out of this great trial, they are giving to the Lord's work. It tells us that they gave out of extreme poverty, rock-bottom destitution. They had lost much. They had little, but the circumstances did not keep them from giving. And so this first myth, which says that only those with money should give, this myth just simply doesn't hold water. In fact, Jesus destroyed this myth. Do you remember the story where Jesus was at the temple? He encountered a widow there with just a couple of coins. Let's read it together. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And Jesus, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And the poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. 
for they have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. A lot of people would have said to her, listen, you, you just need to keep that. You let the people with money give, and they would have robbed her of this great blessing and us of a great example of what it means to give sacrificially for the sake of others. It's what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. How many times do we hear statements like this? Well, you know, if I had more to give, I would give. You know, if I had a million dollars, I would give. If I won the lottery, then I would give. People ask me, well, Pastor, if I win the lottery, is it okay if I tithe on it? You betcha it is. I'll use the devil's money against him any time. Absolutely. What I have discovered is that oftentimes the greatest givers are those with little because it is not what you give but how you give that matters. And so myth number one, only people with money should give. Not true. Myth number two, it is unpleasant to give. It's unpleasant to give. We, we oftentimes think that we would be happier if we kept everything that we have for ourselves. But the Bible says that there is great joy that comes with giving. In fact, look at verse 2 again. We talk about the severe test of affliction, but then Paul says this, Out of their abundance of joy, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. See, it's not unpleasant to give unless your heart's in the wrong place to begin with. That's when it becomes unpleasant to give. But see, Jesus, Jesus destroyed this myth as well. Jesus totally destroyed this myth. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it was Jesus who was being quoted as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you know this is true. Just, just think about this. Parents, think about this at Christmas time. When you give gifts to children or grandchildren, and you look at those children and the excitement that they receive as a result of that gift, does it not bring excitement to you as a result of that gift as well? A couple of years ago, and um, I'll, I'll tell this story. So um, a couple of years ago, Haddon, Haddon our son, is, uh, he, he loves basketball. He is a huge basketball fan. Uh, plays basketball. He got all of his athletic ability from me. And so he loves, you weren't supposed to laugh at that. Um, he loves to play basketball. He loves to watch basketball. He loves to research stats about basketball. He can tell you things about basketball, that stats I didn't know they kept. He can tell you all of this stuff. And one year, we found out that the Golden State Warriors were coming to Charlotte for a game. And so I talked to Leanne, and I said, I think this would be a great Christmas present for him. I can take him to Charlotte, and he and I can go see the basketball game. And we, we just, I just printed up the thing off the printer, and I put it in a box, and I wrapped it up, you know. And it was there. It's kind of the last one to open up. And he gets it, and it's light, and he's thinking, oh, great, socks. I've got socks for Christmas. This is wonderful. And he begins to unwrap the paper. He pulls the box off. And he looks at the paper, and he just starts crying. He's so excited to go to an NBA basketball game. Thrilled him to death. Now, do you know really who was more excited at that gift? Do you think it was him or me and Leanne? 
It, I, it, it was actually me. I was more excited than anyone. Number one, because I hit it out of the park. Yeah, there we go. But then also because there is such joy in giving to someone else. Something, that's what Jesus is talking about. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Do you remember when Jesus, Jesus comes into the city of Bethany and there is a woman there who has this precious perfume in this alabaster jar and she breaks the top of the jar and she begins to anoint Jesus with it. We read about it, Matthew chapter 26. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? Can't you just hear them? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. You always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has been done will also be told in memory of her. Some of the disciples objected, thinking that they could do something better with what this woman had. But Jesus stops and he says, she's done a beautiful thing to me. This is a beautiful thing what she's done. I wonder if any of us would be able to stop and say that we've done a beautiful thing to Jesus in what we have given on behalf of others. Myth number one, only people with money should give. Myth number two, it's unpleasant to give. Myth number three, giving results in a lack of resources. That would make sense, wouldn't it? For instance, if we give our brownies, we have fewer brownies to give. It makes absolute, perfect, financial, mathematic, logical sense. But it is a myth that giving results in a lack of resources. And the reason that it's a myth is because the problem that we have is we simply never add the supernatural into the equations of our financial life. We leave God out of everything and think, I can do better with what I have than God can if I let Him decide. Some of the richest people I know are some of the poorest people. Some of the poorest people I know are so incredibly wealthy. But Jesus destroys this myth as well, that giving results in a lack of resources. Do you remember when he was gathering together there, the people were following him, the disciples come along, you've got to send all these people away, they're going to get hungry, we don't have anything to feed them. And Jesus says, well, you know what, here, let's figure this out. Does anybody go get some food for them? And finally, one of the disciples shows up and he says, listen, I found this little boy here and he's got a lunch, but it's not much, Jesus. He has five loaves and he's got two little fish here, Jesus, but that's all I can come up with. Do you remember how this domino effect began? The little boy gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to the disciples. The disciples gave it to the crowd. The crowd gave back to the disciples. Why? because the supernatural was equated within all of this, and they took up more leftovers than they had in meals to begin with, all because one boy gave beyond his ability, and God blessed him. It's a myth to say that giving results in a lack of resources. Myth number four. 
you must be coerced into giving. It's a myth. It's a myth. It, it, it's why, it, 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 well, it is, what is the purpose of our giving? Let's talk about the purpose of our giving. There are some who are guilt givers. They give because they ought to. I ought to do this, and out of guilt, I'm going to do it. There are some who are grudge givers. I'm going to give this because I have to, but I really don't want to. I want to hold on to it for myself. And then there are some, the Bible teaches us, that we should be grace givers, excelling in this grace of giving like he talks about in 2 Corinthians 8. They want to give out of gratitude, out of love for what God has done for them and how we have been so richly blessed and how we are so very prosperous. Giving is a privilege that we get to carry on the work of the Lord. We don't give because we have to. We don't give because we are coerced to. Or that shouldn't be the motivation in all of this. We should give out of the grace of God that we have experienced and received from Him. And out of that grace, we give back. Look again at verse 3 of chapter 8. We read, For they gave according to their means... They gave beyond their means of their own accord, and look at this, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They begged us, please take this to help others. Take this for the sake of the kingdom. Take this so the gospel is proclaimed. And they begged us earnestly. That's not coercion. That's giving out of grace that they have experienced. They, they got as excited about the offering as they did any other part of worship. Because it is just that. It is an act of worship. It's a myth to say we have to give. The reality is that we get to give. Myth number five. We'll, we'll, we'll close with this. Myth number five. We give to other causes to help them. That's a myth. It's a myth. A myth to say we give to other causes in order to help them. Look at verse five and you'll see what I mean. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Look at the priorities for the Macedonians. Paul uses them as an example. He says, look at what they have done and how they have given. Even though they did not have much, they have given graciously. Out of grace received, they give. But what are the priorities? They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. See, the Macedonians saw their giving not as giving to others. They saw their giving as giving to God himself. If our priority is giving ourselves over to the Lord, then we will have no problem giving our resources as well. I mean, that, that, that presupposes the question that we all have to ask, and it's simply this, have you given yourself to the Lord? You see, if you, if, you try to, if you try to foster these spiritual habits we're talking about, reading the Word of God, praying consistently, gathering with God's people, even giving, if you try to practice these without giving yourself to the Lord, 
it's going to seem meaningless to you. In fact, you're going to get embittered about this stuff because your heart's not where it needs to be. And then we see with this, this is is the beautiful part, verse 7 and verse 9, but as you excel in everything, this is what he says to the Corinthians, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this grace also. And he tells us what it looks like in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul says, you want to see the greatest example of this? Look at Jesus. Jesus, who left, who left glory. He laid aside his glory, and he left glory, and he became poor. He once lived in the splendor that is heavenly glory, and he laid it aside, and he stooped down to earth. He veiled his deity in the cloak of humanity. Why? So that for your sake, he became poor, that through his poverty, you might become rich. Paul's not talking about financial wealth when he talks about riches here. He's talking about receiving what Christ laid aside. The one who left glory and became poor for you. He, through his poverty, allows you to be taken into that glory and to receive that. That we could never deserve, that we could never earn, that we could never be good enough accomplish and see when Jesus when Jesus came when Jesus gave himself he did not leave heaven gritting his teeth or clenching his fists he didn't leave shouting to the father okay okay fine I'll do it then he wasn't dragged up the way of suffering to the cross kicking and screaming against it no they led him like a sheep to the slaughter. It wasn't obligation that caused him to give. It was grace that caused him to give. It's no wonder that Paul, as he comes to chapter 9, and he kind of concludes this whole discourse on giving, that he says this in verse 15 of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul says, look at the Macedonians and how they have given. But even more importantly, look to God and see how he has given. Look to Jesus and see how he gave all that he had so that you might become his. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Is that something that you can say today? I mean, really, can you step back and can you say, thanks be to God for that inexpressible gift of Jesus Christ on my behalf. You see, it's only if you have received that gift that you can say that. And it's only as you have received that gift and you say that that you step into the mode of giving as a result of that. Giving is a spiritual marker in our lives. It indicates our spiritual health at some level. 
And so the question is, are you cultivating the habit of giving? Giving for the sake of the gospel, giving for the kingdom of God, but more importantly, foundationally, as number one priority, have you given yourself to the Lord? Father, this morning we We've talked much about giving because you are an amazingly giving God. You have given when we didn't deserve. You continue to give even though we do not deserve. And Father, you have blessed us so that we might give. Father, I pray that it would be true of every one of us in this place this morning that we first of all have given ourselves to the Lord. And that then out of that, we grow in the grace of giving and develop that spiritual habit that our trust in you grows more and more every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand this morning. As we stand, we sing together. Perhaps today you've not given yourself to the Lord. We would love to talk with you about that. Love to talk to you about what it means to give yourself to the Lord, to trust in Christ for salvation. If you want to just come meet me here, be glad to begin that conversation with you. If you'd like to know more about what it means to be a member of this church, we invite you to come. Would love to start that conversation with you this morning. As we sing, if you need to come, you come. Uh-huh.